I'm not sure what happens a week and a half after the decision when it's been reinforced that it is final. And you're, you know, going picketing, you know, having signs, you know, all, all of these things for your adult children. Like they're over the age of 18. Like they can write letters, they can raise issues, they can protest on their own. So, like, I just, to me, I get the frustration. And I know that, like, the entire state of Nebraska is still really mad. But I, I just don't know what the point of, or like trying to bring a lawsuit like that. Like, it'd be fascinating from a legal perspective to see if like, you know, the loss of, you know, potential income or like, you know, standing or whatever would, would hold up. But at some point, like, do you just want to move on with your life? Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow and I've been trying to get this person on. I already spoiled it. It's Nicole Auerbach for a while now because like Nicole is just out here killing the breaking news lately. Like any, anything you want to know about any conference, Nicole's got you covered. And, you know, I definitely wanted to, I feel like Nicole of everybody I know has the biggest like depth of knowledge in terms of what's going on in college football, especially, but all of college sports, all the conferences and just, she has her finger on the pulse of like, of kind of what's going on. So first of all, hi, Nicole. Hi. Thanks <laughs> um, for having me and oh, for the compliments. Well, yeah, no, I mean, you've been doing an amazing job with all of this and it's been, it's been, it's been really valuable to follow you and it's, it's been great, but I mean, okay. So, and I did like kind of a messy podcast last week with Caroline Darney talking about what was going on with the big 10 and the PAC 12 and everything else. And, we don't have near as much insight into that kind of stuff as you do. And we were, I think we both found ourselves sort of confused as to just like what exactly was, it just seemed like a very, I don't know if abrupt is the right word, but it definitely seemed like a pretty like sharp shift from, you know, releasing a schedule and hyping it up and everything else to six days later, I believe if I have the math Mm -hmm. right, just complete cancellation. And the buzz about that really even started before that. So, yeah, it, it was. And I mean, I think that there's a couple things that came into play. I mean, I think a lot of people would naturally be blindsided by that. Um, you know, the PAC 12 also put out a schedule, but it was five days before that. So again, 11 days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that just feels longer um, in the way that the news was flowing. And I think too, um, you know, people maybe didn't pay enough attention to the schedule unveiling the way that it was because I thought that Kevin Warren, the new Big Ten commissioner, was very clear that like putting out a schedule did not mean they were going to play the games. Like, I think he was trying to be very clear that like it was a step that they had to take um, to announce it. But obviously, there were questions about why they did it the way they did, right? Because if you emphasize the flexibility, if you try to start on September 5th, you know, you're, you're boxing yourself in, in a way where you need to make a decision about whether or not you want to go to padded practices and fall camp really soon, instead of like where the SEC and the other leagues landed a little bit later where you had more time to make that decision. So, um, understandably tons of people were frustrated, um, and felt blindsided by it. I, you know, I feel for the players. I I think one thing that has been overlooked in all of this when there have been cancellations, the FCS level and the Mac and all of these other places is 
the players in a lot of these programs were following the rules for months. They were trying to do their best to give themselves a chance to have a season, but these decisions were going to be made above them. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's, what's tough. If you're in a program, let's say you didn't have a positive test in a month and a half and then it gets shut down and you're like, but we're doing exactly everything we possibly could. And it's still above these decisions are going to get made for you. So I think, that's something to keep in mind as well when we kind of parse through the frustration. And then obviously with like Ohio State player frustration, like that's a team that could have won a national championship. So I get it. I, I believe it was Pete Thamel uh, that had tweeted something in, in the day or two after the Big Ten made the decision. And they said, and he said the first time that the, that the spring was discussed as a possibility was like the meeting where they, it was either the meeting before they canceled or like, and I was I was flabbergasted by that thought because I guess I thought all of these leagues were sort of putting together all of these contingency plans. I'm not sure if you know either how much truth there is to that or how much, you know, I, I just that that to me has been flabbergasting the lack of like, a yeah, what's the plan B here if this doesn't work. Yeah. And it's something I, when I talked to Kevin Warren earlier this week, cause he, um, you know, spoke out and put that open letter out trying to clarify some stuff. I also talked to him and, you know, he was basically saying that everyone was so focused on the fall that they didn't really start looking at that stuff and they were diving into it now. And I mean, that sounds ridiculous to me and you, obviously, especially with considering how many meetings a day all these people are in. But honestly, that's the answer you're going to get in a lot of these places. Unless, you know, maybe the ACC, for example, is like now modeling those things out just in case they need to make the decision. Because, but I think that the leagues that made it early, so many of them just said like, we're going to hope to try to do the spring and not really announce a plan. I mean, I think the only one that did that with their announcement was the SWAC. They were like, okay, we're going to play X amount of games in the spring. And unsurprisingly, they're also the first league to unveil an actual schedule, which they did this Mm -hmm. week as well. So I I just think that a lot of people, it's almost like they didn't want to put out into the world that there was a possibility they couldn't play in the fall. And so they didn't deal with the contingency plan. But they they told us all along they had all these contingency plans. That's that's what's frustrating. And like, as just an outside observer, and like you said, for these kids, is like, we've been in this for five months now. And it's Mm -hmm. like... I know that things took a positive turn in like late May, early June, but when they took another turn, you know, essentially you had a month and change to know that they were taking another turn and where we were likely headed. And that I think has been what's puzzling to a lot of people is people were still like, well, we're still doing this. And then we're suddenly like, nope, we're not. And it's like, well, wait, right. what, you know, what has changed and like why that's been the confusing part for me as a you know relative outsider, at least relative well, to you. Here's a good example of that too. So I was doing a, uh, we were doing a roundtable on on the Big Ten Network earlier this week, and Howard Griffin, whose son plays at Notre Dame, basically gave a really interesting answer because we were talking about like the player parent perspective because obviously you've got these like crazy parent groups in the Big Ten trying to protest Um, the Big Ten offices, which by the way, like people are working remotely. So an eight a.m. Friday morning protest at their office is a choice, (laughs) Um, but. Howard was basically saying that like his personal comfort level of like his son playing football changes on a day-to-day basis, which is understandable, which is understandable. And also that like his son is an adult and can make his own decisions. He's going to support him. But like 
the idea that even the people in the system are changing their minds on a day-to-day basis based on information and you know what what they're experiencing is super normal and i think that that is also getting lost when people say you know we're really taking it day by day i think that they mean that and so yeah like like the situation in the acc has changed drastically this week right like you've had a number of campuses have huge outbreaks of covid in regular students what does that mean, right? Like that that's like an example of like the day-to-day changes. Like a week ago, you know, you're sort of wondering if anything was gonna happen, but now you've got North Carolina, NC State, both going virtual and Notre Dame on the precipice of that, right? Like that is those are all things that happened just this week. Like things change so fast in this environment that um it's just it's just kind of crazy when you talk to the people who are like, you know, living it. Like their their opinions change hourly. Yeah, it's it's just it, it's just like I think I just assumed in my head that they had okay. If we start on time, we'll do X Y Z. We have to push up a month, we'll do X Y Z. Like, well, maybe if we, if we were in charge, yeah. yeah. And that's what's my, I you know. And then there's the whole thing of like, wait, you're bringing the students back? Like, uh, that's probably not the best plan. And <laughs> right, there's behold. a lot of there's a lot of plans that like from our perspective don't necessarily add up or aren't how we would make the decisions. Obviously, like I wouldn't trade spots with any of these presidents and ADs because like these are not easy decisions. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely flaws in in, in all of this and just not the way that, you know, we'd go about it. I I think, you know, particularly with the Big Ten, not just like the whiplash of the decision and then the, the postponement, but also the lack of communication. The messaging was really bad, obviously, and all over the place. And people coming out of that meeting. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different moving pieces to all of this and then just like the way that we understand it. Um, but, you know, again, messaging communication and not having like, here is our eight week plan for these dates <laughs> in the spring, you know, those things matter. Like I thought James Franklin did a, did a really good job of explaining like, he's not necessarily opposed to the decision. Like it is safer not to play, sure. but he, you know, again, it's the messaging and not having answers. So when your players and their parents have all these questions about what's next in terms of eligibility, scholarships, schedule, he had no answers, right? So I think that's really, again, like when we think about why there was such a backlash, why there was so much frustration, it's stuff like that, that you just don't, you have to stand in front of your team and they're asking all these questions and your answer is, I really don't know. Yeah. And I, I did a story recently um, about liability because everybody's been sort mm-hmm. of on that train. And, and my story was, I talked to a personal injury lawyer here locally. And basically he was like, now to be fair, North Carolina is a harder state to sue in. It's one of five states that's harder to sue um, for liability because if you contributed to your own injury in any way, you are barred from uh, recovering any damages. But like it's it's still a really hard case to win, and I even we even laid mm-hmm. out a hypothetical case with Steve Adazio, and that's a case that is still you would still probably have to prove even with all of the alleged things against Steve Adazio, with like you know changing contact tracing reports and all that other stuff. You would still have to prove that you got COVID from playing football, and that's exactly. really tough. And so I don't know. I, I guess maybe you know obviously schools don't want to be sued because that still costs them money, but I guess I just can't imagine that that honestly was all that much of a driving force here. Yeah. I mean, I think like the idea of it probably, yes. Um, I mean, I think that one thing, you know, it's, it's, 
it's also like, yes, being legally responsible for what happens, but also just like personally responsible. Right. Like the optics, if nothing else, if you want to yeah, be like if you're a university <laughs> president who even with a very, very low mortality rate for a certain population, there's still a risk. Like if, if, if it's possible that a student dies from something yeah. that is an unknown virus that, ha- or, or, you know, someone with preexisting conditions or someone gets a really awful long-term health issue from it, that's like, you have to be comfortable assuming that risk. And I think that's a different level of risk for that each person is willing to take as a university president. Right. So I think that's part of it in terms of also the legal, legal part. Like, I mean, that's, what's going to be kind of fascinating. Like I'm sure the expert told you as well, like there's going to be offices that reopen and people are going to sue them and say they got COVID at work. Right. Like there's going to be all these cases about this that are going to be kind of fascinating to see how it unfolds. But like, this is going to be, this is an example in our world, but it's going to happen in other places too. Yeah. And, and this is, yeah, I talked to him kind of off, off mic about some of this and yeah, he, it's going to be like a whole new branch of law essentially, because it'll depend on the judge you get and mm-hmm. all kinds of things in terms of how they interpret it. Cause there's no precedent. Like there's mm-hmm. no, there's nothing, there's no case law they can point to here. And so, yeah, it's going to be, it, it's definitely going to be fascinating. And I guess I, I didn't dive into this very much in, because I'm not covering a league that's canceled anything, but I, I don't know. If, I know the parents are already talking about lawsuits. And one thing that the lawyer did tell me, like he mentioned the case of Caleb Farley, and we talked about that at Virginia Tech, and he had alleged that their protocols weren't sufficient mm-hmm. for him, and that's why he's not playing. And so he said that potentially he could have a case for a loss of opportunity, especially as an NFL prospect. Like, hey, I wanted to play, but you mm. didn't make it safe enough for me to play. And I have a lost opportunity. And I wondered if maybe that's something that like the big 10 parents is that's an avenue they're considering pursuing, especially if they don't play in the spring. I mean, we'll see again, like, is that really going to stand up? Like, you know, know. we'll see. I mean, I I think too, like for me and I I don't know. I mean, I, again, I I sympathize and I understand the frustrations for the players and their parents, but I don't know what the parents are trying to accomplish at this point. I'm not sure what happens a week and a half after the decision when it's been reinforced that it is final and you're, you know, going picketing, you know, having signs, you know, all all of these things for your adult children. Like they're over the age of 18. Like they can write letters, they can raise issues, Mm -hmm. protests on their own. So like, I just, to me, I get the frustration and I know that like the entire state of Nebraska is still really mad, but I, I just don't know what the point of or like trying to bring a lawsuit like that. Like it'd be fascinating from a legal perspective to see if like, you know, the loss of, you know, potential income or like, you know, standing or whatever would, would hold up. But at some point, like, do you just want to move on with your life? Yeah. And I mean, I guess, do you know, I, I would have, this was a guess on my part and you probably have better insight than me into this, but I wonder how much the presidents uh, of schools in the Big Ten and Pac-12 are sort of talking to their colleagues in other leagues that are planning on playing and saying like, hey, guys, like, please, like, because that's the only thing that would probably leave that door open potentially is if those other leagues end up playing and it goes okay. And then all of a sudden the Big Ten and Pac-12 yeah. didn't play and maybe they don't still feel it's safe to play in the spring. And then, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that's going to be interesting. Um, like this is the most uncomfortable period that it could possibly be right. That you potentially have some teams that play and some that won't play until the spring. And then you're on different 
schedules and wavelengths. And, and then, yeah, like you said, I mean, what does it mean if you didn't play in the fall and there, it was able to play? I mean, we know this virus is different depending on where you live in the country and your like health mm-hmm. experts and like the way that, you know, the, the government responses. Like, I mean, there's just so many different pieces to this where I, you know, just because in many cases they're apples to apples, the big 10 and like the sec doesn't mean that like with a virus that is, it's different depending on where you live that this is still apples to apples. Cause it's not like there, there, there are ways that you can say, yeah, it's not safe to play in California or Arizona, but it is going to be, you know, if you can do testing, if you can get reasonable turnaround times on things in, um, you know, let's say, um, like I'm trying to think of an area that doesn't have an outbreak. And right now all the areas that have outbreaks are coming to mind. Um, but like, let's say you're, you know, you're USC, UCLA, and you're not able to play because of you know, all the restrictions in your state. But like Colorado, it was okay. Like, and they had access mm-hmm. to testing, they could get the turnaround times, there wasn't an outbreak in the community, and they could still right. So like, even though that's in the same league, but like their individual circumstances could be incredibly different. And then like, so take that and say, okay, well, you can't play in California. But actually, in North Carolina, Um, you know, we can get a test result within 24 hours. Um, you know, if there's an outbreak, um, on campus, like there's like, again, in a different world, like maybe it can handle the local healthcare system can handle it better. Um, and, you know, still have that access to the labs and turnaround times and safety measures for the football team. Right. So it's, it's so hard because I don't think people think about it that way, but there are potentially reasons that you can play in certain areas and not in others. Outside mm-hmm. of just the fact that clearly the medical advisors like look at the same information and have different opinions on it, but also just like the actual logistics of each place. So yeah, that's, the point. that's what's going to make it really uncomfortable if <laughs> some people are able to play and some obviously are not. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a strange time. And, and I know it's even, you know, a potential logistical hurdle, like in a league like the ACC, where there's geographically things are spread out pretty far. And, you know, what's true in Florida is may not be true in North Carolina. And, and you know, what's true in South Carolina, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, everybody has a different situation. And, you know, it was interesting. One of the reasons I know people were saying this wouldn't work, too, is because of travel. And we've seen what happened with Major League Baseball. Although, you know, I, I actually pointed out that, like, I, I mean, I you don't have a lot of freedom um, when you're in college and traveling. Not not quite as much as the major leaguers have. Like the yeah. football players aren't leaving the hotel necessarily. Right. <laughs> um, they they got people making sure they're where they're supposed to be um, when they go on those road trips. And there's no yeah. Uh, I do. I think the bigger question is when they're home, right? Like when yeah, you I know so. mm-hmm. the other hours when they're not in the facility. Yeah, that that to me is the bigger question because I'm I'm sure that there are going to be plenty of students who stay. Even mm-hmm. not on campus, they're going to stay off. And, you know, it's just a matter of... And like you said, I think it's true, though. And we've seen this play out. I think most football players, especially now, are doing what they're supposed to do. You know, uh, that, that has been mostly the case. I mean, even in North Carolina, where they had an outbreak early, you know, Mac Brown has talked about, like, that that kind of, you know, it was easy to scare them into submission and say, like, hey, look what happens when, mm-hmm. you know... Although they still, from what I understand, they still don't know uh, the origin of that one, um, which... I remember scared me at the time, but I think it's easy to not know, you know, it's easy yeah. to not know who did it and, and how it happened. And, um, I also thought it was interesting and really good that Mac Brown has said he didn't want to know 
he didn't want to know from the contact tracers who did what because he's he doesn't want them to fear retribution. He just wants them yep. to tell the truth. So, <laughs> you know, yep. we've already seen people punished for that, and I think somewhat understandably, like in the Louisville case. But mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. It, I think I think that that's actually a really important piece um, because it's like it's doing what's best for public health and not like worrying about who's going to get in trouble. Yeah. And I think also for me, I, I just wonder, I know we've, we've heard the college football playoff talk about, I guess we're going to still have one. They don't know. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but wonder like, look, if we do try to have a season, is it not maybe the best option to just say we're not playing for anything beyond a conference championship? And maybe that takes pressure off of the coaches uh, to, you know, do the wrong thing when it comes to this virus. <laughs> That's a really good point because because I do think incentivizing the right behavior is important, um, yeah. and I think that that was something. So, like with the NCAA, this decision to grant like everyone eligibility, like everyone can secure their eligibility for this year, that incentivizes. So, like let's say it was half of the season, it was a six game threshold, and you play up to six games without you know losing your eligibility. If your team sucked and you started one and four, you're not going to play like. What's your, your incentive is to not play is to say like, I'm done for the year. Cause I want to preserve my eligibility. So by incentivizing, like however many games your team can play, you can play in without it hurting you. Like yeah. that incentivizes like good sportsmanship. Right. And like team building. And so I think like, it's the important piece with all of these other steps, like you're describing is like not trying to hide an outbreak, not trying to like, not contact trace all the right players is to like incentivize the right thing. And one thing that still hasn't been determined, but Bob Bullsby from the big 12 brought up to me earlier in the summer was like, is it a forfeit or is it a no contest? You know, the game can't get played, right? Like again, incentivize doing the right thing and not hurting that individual team by counting it as a loss. Right. Like I think those are types of things when you talk about like incentivizing the right behavior that are important. And we, we don't know exactly yet, but I could see that being, the determination so that if you know there's an outbreak and you can't play that week like you're incentivized to cancel the game yeah i think that's a really good point i hadn't even thought about that possibility because i know all the coaches have been talking about they're probably going to have to be a lot of forfeits or some mm-hmm. amount of forfeits anyway and you know it, i think that's that's a really good point and, and yeah they just have to incentivize doing the right thing because you know you touched on this a little bit with the parents in the big 10 but i i think you know we and we all be in college football media, we've obviously been dealing with unfair accusations of like, and completely asinine accusations of like, we're rooting for the virus mm-hmm. or like, we don't want a season. But I think like, I do think it's fair to critique us as a collective for like, respecting the player's agency when it comes to certain things and not others, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I know... Oh, Red has made an appearance. I love that. He's also upset about this issue. Oh, I'm yeah, same Red. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Nicole's dog. By the way, you should know that by now if you follow Nicole at all. But um, <laughs> yeah, like it, it's just it's it's one of those things where it's like I just I think it, it is important to respect the fact that they've been doing a lot of this research on their own, and a lot of coaches are giving them all of the information that they have and giving them access to medical people and making sure they understand all of the potential risks. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there, some of them are still saying they still want to play. And so I think this is the, I think, like you said, having the least amount on the line as possible potentially is, is maybe the best way to, to do that. I mean, I don't even know if the conference championship is too much of an incentive. Right. Uh, maybe it is like, I don't know. It just, you know, David Cutcliffe has talked about back in the day, we used to just play games. Like you just play somebody. It didn't have to be like, 
we have to schedule it years in advance. You mm-hmm. can just go, hey, X team play X team. Like, you know, if you just want to play, I think that should be that should be enough. But I, I think like we collectively as a media, college football media, it's fair for us to also respect, you know, the players agency here and, and being able mm-hmm. to sort of digest the information and, and make their own decisions. Yeah. And not to not to think that they're all going to make the same decision. Like when there's no. a player speaking out, it doesn't have to reflect everyone. Like we saw that with the, with different voices on different issues related to this. Like we want to play, we are united, like various people talking about opting out for different reasons, right? Like players are not a monolith and we don't no. need to assume like the size of the body that like one of them is talking for, right? Like one of them is speaking for, like, I think, you can, I think we can all like assume that, you know, all these players went back to campus, they want to play. Um, and like that, that comes into decisions and calculations, but obviously like there's different standards of like what they feel healthy with, um, what they feel safe with. And like, I just think it's silly to act like everyone has the same opinion. And I've seen that in our profession as well. Like, see, they all want to play. Like, no, we don't know. Like you don't assume that like one person speaks for everyone. Yeah. And I think like, there are a lot of people with many different perspectives in our business that are guilty of that, depending on whatever their, and I don't want to say agenda is, but certainly whatever their point of view is. Like if you take the virus seriously as we all should, but if you do, and you think like, this is a risk and we shouldn't be subjecting kids to this. And and you see some players saying they want to play anyway. I don't think it's fair for you to say, well, they don't know what they're talking about or You know, that's not fair either. So, you know, it it is fair to say that some of them genuinely want to play and understand the risks that are at hand here. So, you know, it's just, it's become super complicated. And like you said, you've even got medical experts sniping back and forth. And I'm like, what are we doing right now? Yeah. Like I, I read the piece in SI. I think it was Ross, uh, Russ Dillinger that wrote about like the various experts and talking to them and. And the Big Ten, either the Big Ten or the Pac-12 one, I forget which one, had sort of insinuated that like the people in the ACC and the SEC giving them advice are, are biased because of the way their states voted and like. Well, because I, of I, I think too. There, you know. Yeah, well, I think too, and then you have like the LSU um, doctor who is on their task force saying like taking shots at the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's the whole thing is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And I said last week, I think to Caroline that like, you know, I don't, yeah, you're right. They are taking shots, but like, it's also like, I feel like, you know, to insinuate that it's become political among credible medical people, you know, that aren't, that aren't, that are generally agree on the basic principles behind COVID-19. I think that's like, it's like, we don't want to be going down this rabbit hole, do we? Like, Mm -hmm. and I said too, like Duke was the first school to cancel in basketball. Like, I don't think Duke's infectious disease doctor at a medical institution like Duke is going to say something just for the sake of, and then I was like, you know, Duke football, no offense to Duke football, who I, as you know, I love very much um, because I love David Cutcliffe, but you know, I don't, that's not going to be Dr. Wolf's agenda in particular. I I think, I think that like, there's definitely political pressure in certain places to try to make things work and all of these things. But ultimately like, if you get to a point where the doctors say you can't go, you can't overrule that. And yeah, and so I, thought, yeah, I, think I thought that's, was, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, that's like important. Even if the doctors are disagreeing right now about like how they interpret similar data. And again, I think a lot of it's like risk that they're willing to take, right? Like, you know, will, yeah. risk that they're willing to assume. 
still like eventually at the end of the day, like no matter what the political environment, no matter what competing, you know, interests there are, like it's either safe enough to try or it's not safe enough to try. Like ultimately it will come down to that. Yeah. And I thought, I actually thought what I, I think the person from LSU that you were talking about, um, I think it was her that said something along the lines of like, look, the thing is, if we were starting today, we wouldn't play, but we're not. Yeah. And and I thought that was really interesting too. And I think, I think that's been sort of the inherent conflict here, right? Is that they pulled the plug and that's their right. But the other leagues are just saying, look, we're going to kind of wait and see, you know, we committed to trying this and we're going to go down this road and see where it takes us. And if it takes us to a bad place, we'll eject. And I don't, right. you know, personally, I don't see anything all that wrong with that right now, but you know, yeah. ask me and, <laughs> right. And, and I think, and I think too, that there's a difference between thinking about it the way that you just described it. And then, okay, all systems are a go. They're for sure going to play. Right. right like, exactly. And, and so again, it's just like about being reasonable about the whole thing. And so um, as long as people understand that these decisions can change, um, then I think we're fine. Like then people are fine pushing this down the road and giving it a chance. Right. But I don't think anyone should assume just because games no. are scheduled that they're set to kick no. off on a certain day that they're going to, but it's, it's all about all these other outside factors that will determine that. And so, um, again, it's like, it's kind of just like framing the way we think and talk about it. Cause again, I think that a lot of this stuff gets obscured and it just doesn't, it's not the right, but in it, like, it ends up leading to things where people are like surprised or feel like things got pulled out from under the rug. Right. Instead of just being like very realistic and clear eyed the whole way. Right. Exactly. And, and there's two more things I wanted to hit on with you real quick before I get you out. If that's cool. Yeah. One of, one of them was G fives and mm-hmm. the ones that are still scheduled to play, I guess, what's your sort of feeling on, um, the feasibility of that for them from a financial perspective, we know that there's haves and have nots and they're definitely in the have nots with the TV contracts. And, you know, what sort of the sense you get there about how many of them will be able, you know, in theory to play financially speaking. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously there's, so the Sun Belt, the American and conference USA are still moving forward to playing. Um, you also have a number of FCS schools that are trying to play um, their non-conference games to bring in the money that they're owed for those types of games. So it's an interesting dynamic um, there as well. And then just sort of like the idea of what you can bring in by playing these games and fulfilling your media rights obligations and, and, and all of those types of things, even if it's not as much money as the SEC is bringing in. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely fascinating. Like when some of those that level schools shut it down it's it's almost like in certain cases they they saved money by not playing like it was more expensive to play than to not without fans um and i think that that's something to keep in mind as as you look at some of these um as well so it's going to be very interesting to see how the group of five leagues shake out out of this because um, you know, some of them as well, I'm thinking of a lot of the Mac schools, like they rely on like state funding a lot, state op- appropriations for their schools. Um, you know, enrollment being down in certain places because it's going virtual, that's going to impact student fees at a lot of these places that help fund athletics. So, um, yeah, those, those schools are going to get hit hard. Um, and, and so I think that's part of the reason that there's, that some of these leagues are sticking, staying on, you know, trying to play because, to, to bring in some of that money, even again, if it's not the same level as the SEC, but um, yeah, the, the, the fact that this is all 
happening, that they might not have the games, that they, you know, what if they can't play in the spring with fans? Because again, the ticket revenue is important for their calculations. It's all going to lead to some hard decisions um, in terms of staffing, furloughs, um, sponsorship of sports. Like a lot of that stuff is going to come on the table. Um, And I just, I'll get you out of here on this. Like what, I mean, I guess we're ACC specific, but I mean, there's three leagues left. Like what, where do you think the ACC is in terms of the likelihood? I know it's really, really hard to forecast this stuff because everything changes so much. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I haven't really tried to project because it's yeah. impossible, and we're recording this on like Friday afternoon. I, I do think you know you've got to have those hard conversations about whether or not you can have football players on your campus and playing games and practicing without the student body there. Um, you know, this was a topic of conversation earlier in the pandemic. Um, whether or not you can do that, and I think you've got to think about you know the NCAA has defended this model. And in court and said, like, these are student athletes, they're like regular students. And, you know, you've got to think, you know, are you going to wave a white flag on that? Um, and, you know, we know that they're not, we know there's exceptions, but that's the legal defense. Do you wave a white flag on that? Or do you, you know, start to shut down some of the football programs? I think, um, you know, the campus outbreaks, what it does for local healthcare systems um, is going to be the focal point. And, and again, then it's, do you defiantly decide to try to keep the football team there despite everything, despite the optics, despite the legal challenges that you potentially open yourself up to? So um, I think that, that the ACC, obviously, with the amount of schools that are dealing with outbreaks, probably the first to have to kind of confront those questions. Um, but I do think, too, you know, if you don't have – if one of the three that's left decides that they can't go forward, I don't yeah. see how the other two go forward. So. Um, I think that's why everyone's kind of really focused on the three of them sticking together at this point, because I mean, I think they kind of need to, otherwise I think the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. I think that's a good point. All right. Nicole, tell everybody where they can find you and we'll, and we'll get you in red. Yeah. Red is red. Red needs a walk. Um, uh, at Nicole Auerbach on Twitter, you can, um, find my work at the athletic. You can like follow by writer. Um, and then if you do want more dog content, um, I will direct you to my Instagram. Oh, wonderful. Okay, uh, Nicole, thanks so much. And until next week, everybody.